0: And so, uh, hey, we're in a great section of Scripture this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer the question, how can you know whether you're saved or not this morning? And we're going to see that from the Apostle John's pen and from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's going to show us three evidences that will be in our life if we're truly saved. Hey, ushers are coming forward with Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're in 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to look at 18 verses that will answer the question, how can you know whether you're saved or not based on evidence or fruit in your life? Now, obvious answer to that question of how can you know whether you're saved or not is what John's going to teach us just in a couple chapters. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, he says this. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the What? He's got the life, eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So initially, the way that we know that we're saved is not by how good we are, not by whether we go to church or not. Church is important. That's where you learn about Jesus, but it doesn't save you. Church Churchianity doesn't save you. Christ saves you. And the moment you receive Christ, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And you can have an assurance of that. And it's one of the one of the weapons we have against the evil one, because the evil one is called the accuser of the brethren in Re- Revelation chapter 12, right, verse 10. And he accuses us before God day and night. And what he wants to do is when we make mistakes, when we sin and we do things we ought not to do, he wants to come in and accuse us. He wants to lay condemnation on us. He wants to just guilt, 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 to the point where he wants to get us to think we're not even saved. But we overcome that, Revelation 12 says, by the word of our testimony and the blood, of, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and the fact that we don't love our life even unto death. And so the way we overcome that guilt and that shame and that condemnation is go back to the cross and remember that the moment we receive Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ paid for our sin. And when he said to tell us he said paid in full, it is finished. You're done. If you have the son, you have eternal life. That's the source of our assurance of our salvation. We know that. But we also know, based on what John's going to tell us this morning, in these 18 verses of 1 John 3, there's evidences that should be in our lives if we're really saved. And there's, there's, there's fruit. Jesus said, you will know my disciples by their fruit. And so we're going to see these evidences this morning, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 18, that will show us evidences that we're saved. So let's jump right in. Chapter 3, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Okay, here we go. First, First John 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we, we would be called children of God. And such we are. And for this reason, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him, didn't know who? Jesus. Beloved now, we are children of God. It's not yet appeared as what we will be. We know that when he appears, that's the epiphany, that's the return of Christ. I believe that's the rapture. We will be like him. At the rapture, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, notice, purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. Now, I want you to see this, church. The first evidence that will be in our lives if we're truly saved we know that we're children of God and we've experienced His love. That's the first point. God's love will be bestowed upon your life and you'll experience His love. Now, when it says behold, interesting, it means, it means to see and to see to the point that you have a, an experience and acquaintance with the one that you're seeing. It's, it's, it's behold, it's, it's, it's gazing to the point that you see it through experience. And when we come to Christ, what it's saying, what's going to happen, is we're going to behold, we're going to see, we're going to experience the fact that, that this manner of love that God has for us, bringing us into his family and making us his children. The interesting the word, their manner, uh, uh, in the King James Version, in our version it says great, it, it can literally be translated, the the. The foreignness of his love. Uh, he literally, he can the out-of-this-world kind of love that he has for us. And that's what he does. He has an out-of-the-world, foreign kind of love because it's like a love that you, you'll not experience in this world. It's actually a different Greek word. It's agape. It means an unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love that God displayed when he sent his best, Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a foreign love. It's an out of the world kind of love. And it's interesting because it says there this foreign love has been bestowed on us and the way it's proved in our lives this love is he's called us now as children. And the world doesn't know us because they didn't know him. The world doesn't even, because they they don't even understand this love. And you know what? That's the first evidence will be in your life. When you really experience this love, it's just going to be out of the world, foreign, blow your mind kind of love, right? I remember when I was a young Christian, brand new Christian, and we were singing the song from this verse. You know, Maranatha Music used to do a lot of their songs right straight from Scripture. And I remember as a young Christian in our Young Life meetings, we would, we would have guys and girls singing the song. And we'd be saying, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we, that we should be called the sons of God. That we, and the guys would sing one chorus and the girls would sing one song. Thanks for enduring that with Pastor John. Thank you. But I I remember that. And I remember as a young Christian singing in choruses back and forth, back and forth. Behold what manner of love. And I remember as a young Christian all of a sudden realizing, hey, what I'm saying is true. God loves me. And not only does he love me, I'm his child now through Christ. I'm a part of the greatest family in all of the universe. The family of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon me that I should be called a son of God, adopted into his family. And I don't have a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. i got a spirit of sonship by which I can cry out, Abba! Which means literally, Daddy! And God's spirit bears witness to my spirit that I'm a child of God. That's the first evidence that'll be in place when you're really saved. God's Spirit will just start testifying to your human spirit. Man, I'm a child of God. Even though I'm a knucklehead, He loves me and brought me into His family. It's amazing. I remember singing that song and just being struck by God's love. Behold and seeing and experiencing God's love. And then I remember the summer after I came to Christ, I remember that a bunch of us young lifers, we all took a trip to the, I got out of Chicago, early part of the summer, and we all drove to, to Michigan and went to a place called the Warren Dunes. Now, if you've never heard of the Warren Dunes, it's an amazing place. What it is, is it's, it's mountains of sand that go, that go right down to Lake Michigan. And, the, and literally, it could be like six stories high, mountain of sand. And we, what we do is we'd walk up the mountain of sand, and they're all over the, the seashore up there in the Warren Dunes in Lake Michigan. And we'd walk up to the top of this mountain of, of sand, and we'd all run down. And you tilt it like this, almost like running on a cliff. And you run down there, and you run down and run down, and then you just run right into Lake Michigan. And it's freezing, stinking cold, too. I mean, you almost have a heart attack, the water's so cold. But I remember doing that and then then this was the first time after I got saved I was at the Warren Dunes and I remember standing up on, on part of that mountain of sand with some of my other friends. We had our beach towels up looking down on Lake Michigan and then we saw the sunset over the beauty of this vast great lake and I was struck as a new believer looking at that creation and seeing all the different hues of all the different lights of the sunset and seeing the greatness of God's creation And then thinking, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon me, that I am a child of God, the one that created everything that's going before me, the, the creator of the sun and the creator of this vast sea of water right here, the creator of the beauty of all this. He loves me. and He's brought me into his family. And I remember standing there. I remember standing there just for like five minutes, just watching the sunset. And some of my friends started saying, "John, are you all right? You still recovering from all those drugs you were doing before?" You guys said, "No." And it's, 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 they were just—they thought I was like, like, but I was just struck by the greatness of God's creation and the greatness of God's love. Right? Behold, what man of love, the Father's bestowed on us, that we to be called the sons and the daughters of God. But there's more of those verses. Let's go back to it in a second that kind of want to flesh out here. It says, now, if we have this status with God of children of God, first of all, the world's not going to know us. The stuff we do now as children of God isn't always going to make sense to the world, right? They're not going to know why we have these priorities now as children of God. Why do you go to Calvary Chapel every Sunday? You could be sleeping in and just having pancakes. You come to Calvary Chapel every Sunday now, and then some of you, some of you, you, you come on Wednesday nights, and you, you know, you, you teenagers come on a Wednesday night to a Bible study. What's up with that? And, and then you come, men come to breakfast on Saturday morning, and women come to breakfast, and they study the Bible again. What's the matter with you? Have you lost your mind? No. We found Jesus, and we want to learn more. We want to be in fellowship with other people that love Jesus because that's our priorities now, and the world doesn't know that. And that's okay. It's okay if the world thinks you're a little bit crazy because you know what? We're all a bunch of fools for Christ, amen? And Jesus is, did that for us on the cross. We're going to do whatever we can to live for him and serve him and learn more about him. The world doesn't know that, but children of God do. Also, verse 2, interesting, great, great verse. It says, as children of God, it's not yet appears what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will what? We're going to be like him because we will see him just as he is. This is the epiphany. This is when Jesus appears. When? It's at the rapture. And the promise of Scripture there, great promise, is when the rapture happens. 1 Corinthians 15, 15 to 58 tells us when the rapture happens in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15 to fifty. 15 to 50 to 58, tells us at that moment we'll be changed, in a moment, when we see him, and then we're going to see him face to face, and we'll be like him. Now, what does that mean? It means we're going to have bodily resurrection at the rapture, and we to be given, 1 Corinthians 15 says, immortal, imperishable bodies. The mortal will take on immortality, and the perishable will take on an imperishable body. And here's the good news. That imperishable body will be different than the human bodies we have right now. And the older I get, the more I say amen to that. Amen. And when, when we see him, we will be like him. We'll have resurrected bodies like him at the rapture. I believe it's going to be a whole different ballgame too in regards to we'll be able to transport ourselves like he transferred. We saw that at Easter, didn't we? he just poof in and poof out. He'd, he'd go, be, go right through locked doors and have the ability to transport himself supernaturally. I think we'll be able to do that in our, our resurrected bodies. I think there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and we'll be able to go heaven, earth, bam, in these resurrected bodies. Another good thing is the new bodies we have will be changed to be sinless. Did you know that? The Bible says that, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49, it says, just as we have borne the image of the earthy We will also bear the image of the heavenly. And what's his image? Jesus was without sin. God made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, yes, on the cross. But his his image is sinless, and it's coming. I can't wait. Isn't it going to be great to be like him in the sense of no longer we have this flesh that's in war with the spirit and we fail and we mess up. and We do things we ought not to do. and We have cognitive dissonance where we know the right thing to do. And we do the wrong thing. That's going to be gone when we see him. When we see him, we will be like him. Not only physically, but we'll be like him in his image. Perfect, perfect. No more sin. And I say amen. Maranatha, come quickly. I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. And that's our future. And it's wonderful that we have the future of being with Christ, seeing him as he is, and then we too will be like him. Now, interesting thing, I was studying this week about this, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, in the meantime, the way we could be more and more like him is to see his face right now. What do I mean by that? It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold his face now, that's what changes us from glory to glory into his image. So the more time you spend seeking his face in prayer, the more time you spend seeking his face in, in worship, the more time you spend seeking his face in studying God's word, the more you're going to see his face and the more he's going to change you from glory to glory into his image. And we've been predestined for that, by the way. Romans eight twenty nine says, you have been predestined that you might be, might be predestined, be conformed to the image of his Son so that you be the firstborn among many brethren. Our predestined state and our children of God is to be like him. And the more you seek his face, the more he can change you to be like him. Amen? In verse three, another interesting uh, uh, side note on this, verse three, it says, everyone who has this hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. One commentator I read this week said this. He said, the, the, the doctrine of the imminent return of Christ is a part of God's sanctifying work in all of our lives as believers, as children of God. And what that means is the more you hang on to this promise that you're going to see Christ and that soon and very soon you're going to see your king, the more you're going to hold on to holiness in your life because you don't want to be doing something stupid at the rapture when you see Christ. You have the blessed hope. You're looking forward to that. And I believe every Christian should hang on to this imminent return of Christ that any moment now we could be raptured. Because you have this hope, it purifies you. That's why I love studying the book of Revelation with you all. I was, when we got through our 22 weeks of Revelation, I was like, oh, we're done with Revelation. Disappointed. Because the more you study the book of Revelation and you see how close we are to the soon return of Christ, the more that's going to be an urgency to reach other people for Christ, but the more it's going to keep us holy, too. Because of the imminent return of Christ. This hope, this blessed hope, purifies us in our life. So the first point, the first evidence of whether we're children of God, is have you experienced the wonderful... Adoption into his family. And is God's spirit bearing witness to your spirit that you're a child of God. That's the first evidence. Now, the second evidence, go on, verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, it's interesting. It's, it's saying practicing sin is lawlessness. You know what lawlessness is? Lawlessness is Rebellion. Lawlessness, Matthew 24, we're told, is going to increase at the end of the age as we get close to the last days. And are we seeing it before our eyes or what? Our culture is getting more and more insubordinate to God's rule. That's lawlessness. That's ultimately, when we're practicing sin, we're we're, we're saying, I'm not going to listen to you, God. I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. Just like the Frank Sinatra song. I did it, what? My way. My way. That is one of the stupidest songs that's ever been written. You know why it's stupid? God bless you, Frank Sinatra, but it's a stupid song. You know why? Because our way is a bad way. Our flesh goes towards the destruction, and our flesh, insubordinate to God, will go with killing, stealing, and destroying ourselves. Amen? That's the mission statement of Satan. And when you go against God's way, you go lawlessness... It leads to self-destruction. That's why Jesus said the devil's come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly. God's way is the way to go. Our hearts as children of God now should be saying, I don't want to live in lawlessness. I want to say, along with Jesus, not my will be done, Father, but your will be done. And then it says this, verse 5, you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there's no sin. Now, the one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is what? Righteous, just as he is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the very beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because the seed abides in Jesus or in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now careful with the scripture, because some people with the scripture have produced a doctrine that's a false doctrine. It's the doctrine of sinless perfection. And some people just reading this without doing their hermeneutic, without studying in detail, build a whole doctrine and say, hey, it says the one who, who knows him doesn't sin. That means I could reach a place in my Christian sanctifi- sanctified life that I don't sin anymore. It says that there. If you abide in him, you're not going to sin. And so it says this false doctrine says that I can reach this place, according to John, that I don't sin anymore. It's a bad hermeneutic. Two reasons why. One is because it's not reality. Anybody that says they have sinless perfection, I just want to meet their spouse and we'll be done. Done. Or their kids. Done. So what is it saying? It's saying there you've got to go back to studying it in detail and you've got to go back to the original language. And when it says sins, in the Greek it's present tense, which means continues to sin. And it said a couple times in that scripture too, practicing sin. And what happens is you come to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, if any man is Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, what? The new has come. And what happens when you come to Christ, your whole life changes. And you now instead of just living in the sinful flesh, you have the Holy Spirit working in your life so that, yeah, you still make mistakes. You still sin, but you don't practice it anymore. What does that mean? You don't live in it anymore. And and again, 1 John 1, 8 and 10 tells us very clearly, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word's not in us. So very clearly, John's saying, we all have struggles, we all have failures, but here's the difference. 1 John 1, 9 says, the Christian, the child of God, when he sins, he's gonna confess his sin so that he can be faithful and just, God, forgive you, cleanse you, and you get on with it, and you don't keep living in that sin. What does that mean? If you're really saved, you're not going to just keep living and living and living in sin. You're going to repent. you repent because you're a child of God now. Yeah, you'll still make mistakes with your words. Sometimes, even Pastor John, I remember a few years ago, I, I, I rear-ended somebody because I wasn't being careful, and I looked down at something, and I don't know if it was my phone or something, I looked down, and all of a sudden, bam, there was a car, there was a, and it was a BMW, of all and I it right in the back of this thing, and all of a sudden, beep this word came of my mouth, and I said, man, I haven't said that in years. And I, But after saying that, I confessed, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, I just, like this, and, and then I didn't keep swearing after that. It's the same thing. When we swear, we're not going to practice it anymore. If you're really living for Christ and you're a child of God, you're not going to keep getting drunk every weekend because you're a new creation in Christ. If you're really walking with God, you're not going to live in adultery as a child of God or fornication. Well, I just, oh, we're, we're married in God's sight. I'll just keep living with this person. No, you're going to get married because it's better to marry than to burn, right? And so you don't practice it. You don't continue in sin. And going back to our scripture, let's look at it. And then it says this. And everyone who, pra- let's go back to it with that in mind now. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawless. Verse five, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there's no sin. Jesus' mission in coming to this world, he appeared to this world. To, his primary mission was to take away our sin. And when he died on the cross in Colossians, it says he disarmed the powers and principalities of hell. And then it says, as he nailed that sin to the cross for us, it says this, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. That's why our sin is gone. And the Bible says, Second Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin is, it's, there's no sin in us because Christ took it And took it to the cross for us. That's why first John or First Peter three eighteen says, The Christ died for sins. What? Once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. And Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? No sin, because Jesus took that sin and nailed it to the cross and paid for it for us, and so we have no sin anymore. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. Praise God for that. Amen? And then it says, verse 6, And no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Here's the key. Here's the key. If you want to get over your sin and practicing your sin, it's not found in your willpower. It's not found in New Year's resolutions. It's not found in just trying to be a good person now. It's found in one source. Abiding in him. You abide in him, he will abide in you. And he'll produce much fruit. But listen, apart from him, you can do nothing. But with him, you can do all things. Through Christ, who gives you strength, right? So, the key, the key to not practicing sin isn't to focus on the sin, it's to focus on Jesus, who's the author and finisher of your faith, and He'll finish that work of sanctification, of working in your life and helping you no longer sin in that area because you're abiding in Him. So, if you're struggling in an area, and all of us struggle at times, if you're struggling in an area in your life where you keep going back to the sin, keep going back to that sin, keep going back to that, don't focus on that get in that abiding relationship with Jesus and spend more time just in his presence. That's why church is so important because what are we doing here on Sunday mornings? What are we doing here on Wednesday nights? We're getting, abiding with him. We're worshiping him. We're studying his word we're with other believers that love Jesus and that's abiding in him and that will help us overcome those areas that we're struggling in through abiding in him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is what? thats strong words. You practice sin, you're of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He destroyed the works of the devil. No one who is born of God, again, he's reiterating, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. But this, the children of God and the children of the devil, they're obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor does one who does not love his brother. Now, interesting what he's saying at the end there is that when you, when you get born again, when you get saved, God's seed is planted in you. And I think that's twofold. First, First Peter one twenty three says that we're born again through the imperishable seed of God's word. And that's why a part of us getting saved is someone is planting oftentimes before you get saved. God's word gets planted in your life, but it's a twofold planting. It's not just the seed of God's word, it's also the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, You must be born again. And what he said is, You must be born of the Spirit. And what happens when you get saved is there's this seed. It's the seed, it's the word of God, along with the Holy Spirit planting that in your life, and the Holy Spirit drawing you, and then you're born. You're born again. And when you're born again, you're given a whole new nature. It's the nature of Christ. Actually, it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, it actually t- says that, that we're, be- we're, giving his, we're given his divine nature when we're born again. Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect yet. Not until we get to heaven are we going to fully be uh, molded into his image. But it means there's this new nature that we have the nature of Christ. And here's the thing. If we start practicing sin as a believer in Christ, as a child of God, here's what God does. He disciplines us. I call it spankings. You know why he spanks us? Because he loves us too much just to allow us, as children of God, to stay in disobedience. I remember when I was (laughs) a new Christian again, I remember... I remember not only singing that song behold what Manner of love I remember that being awestruck by God's love but I remember getting some spankings too and I was a new believer and a part of it was there was a tug on me to go back to the old life and I did sometimes I got pulled back I remember when I first got saved my party friends all left me alone for about 2 or 3 months they said, so, yeah, John Hoppy's gotten, he's crazy. He's gotten got this Jesus freak thing. And he's, he's just, he's this another fad that he's doing. He was in a PMA, positive mental attitude before this. He even did some yoga. I tried that. I, I, just, it was a, this was hippie time still. I did some weird stuff. I, yeah, they, they were right. I went through some fads. And then I came to Christ. And they thought it was a whole other fad. And they left me alone for two or three months. And then the, the spring hit, it started getting warm, and they started calling me again. And I, I, and I got pulled back a little bit. I remember one time specifically, talk about spankings, one time specifically they called me, and one of my favorite old bands was in Chicago. It was at a civic audio, audio uh, theater kind of thing and stuff. It was general admission, so you know if we got there early enough, we could get in and get a great seat and stuff. And they pulled me in. And one of my friends, one of my party friends, drove me in his Nova. Remember Nova's? Drove me in his Nova to the REO Speedwagon concert. And it was public, you know, general admission. And we get there, there's thousands of people there. And somehow we snuck to the very front entrance of the, of the Civic uh, Auditorium or whatever. And I, we had it all planned. We're going to sneak in the door and get front seats. Ario Speedwagon. Some of you young people, you don't even know who REO Speedwagon is. I get it. But, but I remember going, and, 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 we're, and we're right by the door like this, and all of a sudden they open the doors for General Mission. I go, go, I'm going to go. I try to do a U-turn, and all of a sudden these thousands of people all rush to the door, and I got slammed against the, the stone wall of this civic auditorium. And I was there like for five minutes, oh, like this, and I'm going, and it was like God just spanking me for doing what I just did, because on the way to that concert, I remember I was with Big Ernie was his name, and his Nova, and he started smoking this stuff, and I started, yeah, I remember that smell, and I admit it, I gave into it, and I did that with him, and God was saying, that's not who you are anymore, John Hoppy." and I'm going to slam you against a stone wall for about five minutes, thinking you're going to die, and I've got this buzz going, i like this for five minutes. <laughs> and then, after finally getting loosened, because enough people got in the door, then finally, I, I get, I, I, after getting like this for five minutes, finally, I get, get to go through the door, and the first person I see when I get through the door was an adult, young life leader. And he comes up, John Hoppy, give me a big hug. And I'm like this with my breath. I'm like, oh, yeah, good to see you, because and I remember that and I, don't, I didn't enjoy the concert at all because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit was on me That this is, I'm not supposed to do this anymore and not only that I went home that night and I was so convicted I said that young life leader he probably smelled what was on me and I was oh, like this and from that day forward I was 17 years old I'm only 20, 35 no I'm actually 50, 59 now I haven't smoked that substance since. Because that's not who I am anymore. I'm a child of God. Amen. And God is not going to allow us to practice sin anymore and enjoy it anymore. Have you noticed that when you get saved? Before, before you were saved, you can enjoy that stuff. You can, you can actually, oh, this is fun. But after you get saved and you do stupid things like that, what happens? It's not fun anymore. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us in regards to sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. And why does God do that? Because he loves us. And an evidence that you're a child of God is you can't enjoy sin anymore because that's not who you are. Amen? Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen. So the second evidence of being saved... You're not going to continue in that stuff anymore. Yeah, you'll make mistakes. Hell, yeah, you'll fall. Yeah, you'll do dumb things. But you're, a righteous man falls seven times, and then he rises again. You're going to confess your sin. You're going to find his faithfulness, his forgiveness, and he's going to cleanse you. And you get on with it. And you live for him. You don't practice it. Now, let's close it up here. Verse 11. For this, message, this is the message which we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Right? Not as Cain, who is of the evil one. And slew his brother. Or what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Evidence again? What is it? We love the brethren. He who does not love abides in what? Death. But everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this. How do we know love? That he laid down his life. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brethren in need, closes his heart against them. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in what? In deed and truth. The last evidence that we're truly children of God, that we're truly saved. I think it's the greatest evidence. The greatest evidence of our salvation is we have a supernatural love and specifically a supernatural love for the brethren, who's that other brothers and sisters in Christ. What did Jesus say? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also, what? Must love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples by your love one another, right? And I love what he's saying here in this is you've heard this from the beginning. Where did they hear this from the beginning from? Who did John hear this from the beginning from? Jesus. Jesus said over and over and over again, I love you guys. And he said, hey, greater love is no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And he didn't just say it Indeed, in truth, he did it. He loved them. And I love John because John, before, in the very beginning days of walking with Christ, we know from the Gospel of John, what he did was, uh, when Jesus was at a city in Samaria and they rejected the ministry of Jesus, John and his brother James, they said, Jesus, just call down thunder from heaven and disintegrate these people. You, you got the power. Jesus, just wipe these people out. And thus they got the nickname, Sons of Thunder. But you know, John, by this time when he's writing this, is in his 90s, maybe 80s. And he had a new nickname in the church. He wasn't a son of thunder anymore. You know who he was? His nickname, according to church tradition, was the Apostle of Love. And he had learned to love because the one he followed loved him. We love because he first loved us. And it's interesting here, too, it says, he points to the example of Cain. We're not to be as Cain, who was the evil one, and slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. No, what that's saying is sometimes we don't love people because we're coveting what they have or we're jealous of God's blessing on their life. And that's what happened with Cain and and Abel, right? Abel's sacrifice was, was, was favored by God and Cain killed his brother because of that. Hey, be careful with that. We're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Hey, when Christians are are experiencing God's goodness and God's blessing, don't be jealous of that. Rejoice with them, man. Celebrate with them. Hey, that's awesome, God's blessing you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's part of loving them. And don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Why would the world hate Christians? Because darkness doesn't like the light. We know that we've passed out of death into light because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding him. Now that's interesting too because it it coincides with what Jesus taught uh, John. Jesus said in in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. He said, hey, if you have anger in your heart towards a brother, it's like murder. You know, anger is the embryo of murder. All murder starts with a heart that's filled with anger. Instead of having hearts filled with anger, we're supposed to have hearts of love. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance in the first place. And if we truly have experienced God's kindness, how do we not live in that kindness ourselves? He's shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires you to do. But to love justice and to, to be people of kindness and mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's part of walking humbly with God is you're going to love justice and you're going to love mercy and kindness that's who God is, right? We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do you know love? The way I know love is so I have a Savior that died for me. But God demonstrates his own love for me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And the only way I can live in love is staying connected, abiding with the one who's full of love, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Yeah, but He was full of grace. And he's full of truth, and we love because He first loved us. But whoever has the world's good, sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against. So how does the love of God? You know what He's saying here, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deep and truth. What He's saying here is, put your money where your mouth is. Don't let your love just be a bunch of words. Remember that old beer commercial you used to watch it during the Super Bowl. I love you, man. So I love you, man. And there was just no reality in that love. He just wanted another beer from his buddy or something. I love you, man. Give me another beer. I love you, man. No, no, that's not how we love as Christians. Not in our words only, but in deed and truth. And listen who we're especially supposed to love is one another. It's brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we're family. We're family. I had a really great week this last week. <laughs> it's one of the best weeks I've had in a long time. I was writing my journal a couple nights ago. This was a good week. And it started with Easter Sunday this week, this last week. started with Easter Sunday. I remember driving to church with Heidi, and we're, we're you know, early. It's still dark out. And we're trying to get there for the sunrise service early and stuff. And I remember driving, and it was, it was, 37 degrees on my phone. I'm going, no one's going to be there for our Easter sunrise service. No one's going to sit out in an outdoor amphitheater and freeze! I remember I was wearing like three layers on Easter Sunday. I had a down jacket and a, another jacket and a, two shirts. And, and I remember, I get, I get here and there was 300 plus people for our Easter sunrise service. And you know what really just blew me away? Was between the three services last Sunday we saw 16 people stand up to receive Christ. And I just, woo, That's a good week. It, it was awesome. It's awesome to see so many people stand up and publicly receive Christ. And it was a good week. And then after, after the three services, we, we got in the car in Heidi's little Prius, and we, we drove all the way up to Greenville because three of our four grown-up kids who are married are up in Greenville. So we went up and had Easter dinner with them. We got to see my oldest. And actually, man, the, he, he, had, he has this thing called the green egg. I didn't even know what a green egg was until I saw it. And it's like, it's a smoker. And he got this big slab of meat, like a roast. And it was like prime rib roast. And he smoked it for hours. And if you know the hoppies, you know we're carnivores. We like good meat. And, and he gets this, this thing out and he kept, he's got like this thermometer. He's an engineer. So he's got his own thermometer for the meat. And he cooked it perfectly. You know, prime rib, like medium rare, is Bloody and juicy. It was awesome. <laughs> but I got to be with three of my four kids on Easter Sunday and we got prime ribbon horseradish sauce. Oh, it's great. And but the biggest thing that made it great it was with my family. Three of my four kids, married kids with spouses. It's awesome. It's a good week. And then after doing that Sunday night, we we decided to skedaddle out of here for a couple of days and we went to the beach and Heidi and I got to be with my wife, the love of my life. For two days, we just hung out at the beach. Well, I, we actually played nine holes of golf on Tuesday and Wednesday, and it was a good week too. Tuesday, I shot par. Ooh, never done that before. I, I know I'm not supposed to just let other people praise you, but I, I shot par. It's awesome. It's a good week. And then well, my son got motivated by us going to the beach, and he calls us midweek and says, Dad, I think, I think we're going to go to the beach too. Can we come and see you on Thursday night and have dinner with you again on Thursday night? This is my son who's named after me, John the Fourth. And I said, you, you, don't even ask me that. Yes, get here. So he comes with my granddaughter, three-year-old granddaughter and his wife, and Thursday night, before they go to the beach on Friday, we got to spend the whole night eating again with my, my son, who's named after me. And then Thursday night, I'm on the couch with the love of my life, my wife Heidi, and my three-year-old granddaughter. And Heidi's reading her a bedtime story. And I'm sitting there, it was a good week, and I'm sitting there as my wife, who just loves this little girl, reads her a bedtime story. And you've got to understand, this little girl is the cutest three-year-old in the world. God bless you if you have three-year-olds, but you you don't have a three-year-old. Excuse this girl. Sorry. But (laughs) unbelievable. Blonde hair, Dutch. She's beautiful. And she's actually a little sweet girl, too. It's amazing. She never even had terrible twos. And and we're sitting there, and Heidi's reading this bedtime story. And thinking, why do I love this little three-year-old so much? I mean, I'm serious. This little three-year-old has Heidi and I wrapped around her little finger. Anything she wants, she gets. I would. And listen, part of it is she's named after my mom. When she was born, my mom had already passed. And John G. called me and said the baby's born, and we're naming her Adele. That was my mom's name. I'm going to, oof. And I love this little girl. And one of the reasons I love her so much is not only because she's named after my mom, but she's family. She's my granddaughter. And I love her. And I'm saying this, I'm giving this illustration, because y'all, you're family too. We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're supposed to, as family, love one another. Because that's what family does, right? And this whole thing of Satan, what he wants to do in every church, is he wants to cause division, he wants to cause bitterness, he wants to cause controversy, he wants to cause us not to love one another. Because it's against Jesus' goal. Uh, by this, all men will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. So, church, let's not just be hearers. Let's love one another. Let's remember that we are family. And let's always have each other's backs. And if we're going to say something about somebody else within this church, let's, let's build them up. Let's, get, let's have their backs because even if they've done something wrong, love covers a multitude of sins. And we're not supposed to be denigrating each other with our words. It's one of the main ways as Christians we don't love one another is we don't be careful with our words about other brothers and sisters in Christ. And our, our words can either bring blessing or cursing, could either bring life or death, could either bring hurt or healing. And let's bless and let's love each other. Amen? That's one of the greatest evidences of the truth of Christianity was when I first got saved when I was 17, I got involved with these Christians. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was a little skeptical. I'm from Chicago. I thought these people are a little bit too nice. And they're coming up to me and saying, hey, bro. And I'm going, I'm not your brother, what's the matter with you? And then they want to give me a hug, and I said, keep to the handshakes, pal. But then I came to Christ, and I realized that wasn't, it wasn't fake. These people loved me like no other group of people ever loved me. And their love was real. And it was evidence that, yep, this is truth. And these are disciples of Jesus Christ by their love for one another. So what's the evidences? How do, you, how do we know we're saved? What are the things that will be in our life? First of all, we saw we'll have this Holy Spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we're children of God. We'll have this experience. We'll see it. We'll behold. We'll have experience and acquaintance with the fact that we're children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we are the sons and daughters of God. The second thing is we're not going to keep living in sin. We're not going to practice sin. We're going to confess and repent and get on with it and not stay in it anymore. We're not going to continue to sin in errors. We're going to repent it when repentance is necessary. And then the third thing, very simple. We're going to love one another because Jesus loves us. We love because you first loved us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that your word exhorts us in areas we need to be exhorted in, God. Thank you so much that your word is is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to pierce through the joint marrow of our souls and our spirits and helps us to be people that even have the thoughts and intentions of our hearts judged and changed by your word, God. Thank you, God, that we're born again through this word, but we're also changed from glory to glory through your word being sown into our lives. And, Lord, help us to not just be hearers of your word, God. Help us to be doers. Help us to be people that experience your love on a daily basis because we know you and we abide in you, Father. Help us to be people, too, that don't practice sin. Because of our abiding relationship with you, God, you help us to overcome sin instead of live in it, Father. And I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that's struggling. I pray, God, for anybody that might be having a struggle with going on in sin that they shouldn't be going on with, Lord. I pray, God, that you might be their deliverer this morning, God. I pray that they would practice what you told us in 1 John one nine. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us and you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God. And if you're here this morning and you've been practicing stuff, you shouldn't be practicing as a Christian. Just come to his throne of grace right now and realize God loves you confess it. Confess just means be honest with God. Agree with Him that this is wrong and repent. Make a commitment that this is it. You're not going to keep going in that direction. You're done with it. And Father, I pray for Your power and Your Holy Spirit to help. Anybody that needs help in this room to be set free in different areas, they need to be set free. And thank You that Your Word says we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. Thank you that your word says if the sun sets us free, we are free indeed. So bring that liberty, that freedom, that rescue this morning for anybody that needs that this morning, God. And Father, would you help us? Would you help us to be people that practice your love too? Help us to be people that don't just love with what we say, but help us to love with what we do in deed and truth, God. Even this week, Lord, give us some opportunities to love. I pray that you give us opportunities to love our spouses in a better way. I pray that you give us opportunities to love our kids in a, in a fresh and a new way. I pray you give us opportunities to love other brothers and sisters in Christ that need our help this week. Help us to have some deeds of kindness where we could just show our love for those people, those brothers and sisters in Christ that we need to love. And then those people out in the world, Lord, those people that need Jesus, our greatest witness to them is love. And I pray that we would love this week because we're loved by you. Thank you for your word, God. It's so true. It's so rich. The scripture we studied this morning, so rich. We thank you for that. Help us not to just know it. Help us to live it, God. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. amen. God bless the church. Hey.